Hello, Stephen Backhouse here. If you are a listener to the Tent Podcast, it will be no surprise to you to learn that I love the Gospel of Mark. I often teach from it, and I refer to it all the time. This summer, from the 11th to the 15th of July, I have been invited by the Vancouver School of Theology to run one of their summer school courses. The course is called A Political Theology Bible Study of Mark's Gospel. Previous biblical studies or political theology knowledge is not expected or required. The course will be held online, and you can find out all the information you need by visiting vst.edu and searching for summer school, or by simply following the link provided in the show notes to this episode. I look forward to seeing you later this summer. Welcome, fellow traveller, to the Tent Talks podcast, where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social and political imagination. From time to time, churches and other groups hire me as a tent theologian to act as a sort of consultant, helping them think Christianly about whatever it is they're going through. St. Luke's Church in London hired me a few months ago to go through the Sermon on the Mount with them, and I recorded a series of conversations with the Vicar John and with other guests who came and joined our conversation from time to time. They were kind enough to allow these recordings to be released on the podcast. I hope you enjoy hearing them as much as we enjoyed making them. Dr. Stephen Backhouse and we are looking together at the Sermon on the Mount and we're picking up where we left off but we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. So Stephen um, where should we begin? Let's let's begin with a bit of context. Let's remind ourselves how the Sermon on the Mount, how we should approach it and how it kind of pieces together. Well if you will remember that the Sermon on the Mount is not it's not meant to be taken just Matthew 5, 6 and 7 out of context it's it's in there on purpose so in matthew 4 we see jesus has collected together a whole a group of people there's a whole crowd of people that are going to around him and he goes up to the mountainside and he begins to teach but in matthew 4 the crowd is very explicitly and deliberately made up of a lot of different types of people and if you look at matthew 4 you'll see there's gentiles and romans and elites and working class and poor and jews and jews of all different types as well and samaritans there's a lot of different people are Mm -hmm. are called to be part of the crowd that is listening to jesus and what he's done in matthew 4 is he said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and repent means change your ways change your ways come out of your old ways Come out of your old kingdoms and come into your into the new kingdom. Yeah. So that's what he does. And people say, okay. And then the crowd follows him. And then he stands up and he says, right, now that you're in my new kingdom, this is how we act. This is what it looks like. Because kingdoms have manifestos. Kingdoms have laws and agendas. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, it's deliberately presented as kind of like a Moses presenting the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. In the book of Exodus, we have Jesus. Matthew very deliberately uses language that's evocative of Moses to sort of show Jesus as like teaching the new people 
a new set of rules, as it were. Okay. Yeah. And the set of rules has a very different feel to the Ten Commandments, but they are presented as that that kind of document. And one of the things that you'll notice quite uh, a lot in the Sermon on the Mount is it's a, often it's about allegiance or it's about competing allegiance or where are you getting your affirmation from? Who yeah. are you allegiance to? Who's affirming your identity? Who are you acting for? And of course, when we think of allegiance, we often think of swearing allegiance as a kind of a giving away of our power to something. You yeah. know, we are, we are yeah. coming under the authority of something. And that yeah. kind of echoed as we journeyed through Mark's gospel this time last year, the kind of constant Jesus calling people out of the power structures that they were clinging Yeah, and to. he very explicitly says, don't, don't swear allegiances to things. And yeah. when he says, don't make oaths, it isn't just pr private oaths between you and me. It's, it is very specifically those, the kind of public oaths that we all recognize today as things like the pledge of allegiance to a flag or when you swear in a courtroom or when you make a pledge, when you made a pledge to the queen, when you became the vicar. Yeah. I'm sorry to tell you, John, that's, <laughs> that is the kind of oath that Jesus said he didn't want his people to do. Because yeah, they're yeah. about binding yourself to another type of institution or kingdom. Yeah. yeah. And, but it's not just that, right? So he's also doing it, and this is where it's going to become relevant here, today's passage. But he's also doing it about, like, uh, in Matthew 6, he's talking about, you know, when you go into the marketplace and you're giving away your, you're giving charity, like he, he assumes you're going to give charity, but he says, don't do it in public so that people can see you and get and praise mm -hmm. you. Don't do it because you're doing it to please the figures of authority in your who are, who are going to give you a reward for acting like a good citizen as it were yeah do it in private like your allegiance is a different it's you're getting your reward from a different place you're getting your affirmation from a different place yeah and this is part he talks about almsgiving he talks about prayer yeah. um and fasting three things he says you know you should do in secret and not do so that people will see you and yeah and, and there's a kind of a and also there's lim a lot of the sermon on the mount it's about idolatry as well so that effectively the kinds of things that you're when you look for praise from humans the ideas that you are actually trying to get from other humans or from it from institutions will actually yeah. should only be given by god yeah so god will reward you god will see god will praise you and if you're looking to it from from politicians or religious leaders or your neighbors you're actually making a god out of human beings yeah so there's a lot of idolatry like the idea is that if your allegiance is to the kingdom of heaven, you, you won't, your main enemy will be idolatry. It will be yeah. trying to treat something else as, as your God. The way that I've been describing the Sermon on the Mount is a kind of catch-all. I borrowed a bit from Scott McKnight, which we've referred to a few times over yeah. the series. He talks there about the Jesus Creed, the kind of the, the fundamental mission, mission statement, or if you like, the, yeah. the thing that he calls people to believe, which is the greatest commandment, you know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, to love your neighbour as yourself. Right. And, and, and then he brings the Sermon on the Mount as a kind of, this is what that looks like. Right. Yeah, right. This is what, yeah. you know, if you, if you get a bit stuck as to how to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, if you get a bit stuck as to what it looks like to love your neighbour, look at the Sermon on the Mount because he kind of plays out the ethic there. It's funny because we often kind of think of, I think Christians are trained to think that like idolatry is some kind of theological, mystical concept and ethics mm -hmm. is some kind of practical real world concept. Yeah. yeah and we don't sort yeah. of see how they fit. Whereas they're the same thing. Like, you know, your, who you worship or, or how you, what you allow to speak into your life is affecting your actions. 
Yeah. And this plays out in the Sermon on the Mount all the time, but it also plays out in real life. So if you think about, or in, in our modern life, so you think of like pretty much without, without fail, uh, anytime Christians want to um, disobey or, or, or divert themselves from the way of Jesus, it's usually because they're justifying that based on, well, it's better for our country if we do this, or it's better yeah, for yeah. our family if we do this. Yeah. So, so they always put an institution. It's better for our church if we treat yeah. people like crap, because that's what our church needs to continue. Yeah. And so you're yeah. just always getting somebody's putting an allegiance to their institution above the way of Jesus, which is idolatry, but it's where ethics and idolatry are the same thing. Yeah, it's interesting because actually the ethic of how we are to live our life, like you said, is rooted in what we choose to worship, what we choose to elevate yeah. in our life. Um, well, that's what Jesus is going to say in our passage today, where your treasure yeah. is, your heart will be also. Yeah. So we, we made our way through the early part of the Sermon on the Mount. Like you said, everybody is gathered and we started with the Beatitudes. What was the word? That, I can't remember what the phrase was used to describe, you know, Beatitudes has got a word that we don't use all that often but what was the i'm trying to work out what the phrase was that we yeah there's a i mean the the word is mac macarius i can't i'm so sorry i can't pronounce greek <laughs> but it means blessed or divine favor so it's a mark I'm, of jesus saying i'm going to bestow i get to choose normally it's like something only the divine can do and here jesus is the one doing it which is a kind yeah. of a clue as to how jesus was seeing himself <laughs> well and and obviously we'll be causing rankles from those who will be hearing yeah. it yeah yeah exactly and then I thought it was really interesting. We, we talked a lot um, in the early episodes about um, what it means to fulfill the law. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come to abandon the law. I came to fulfill it. I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. And, right. And what that looked like for Jesus, the fulfillment of that is. Yeah, and then he goes into that, the, the, the kind of repetitive rhythm that he went into. You have heard it said this. Right. But I say to you. And it seems like he's getting the kind of the essence of what those laws were there in, in the first place. For Yeah. The, and the argument that the kind of tack that Jesus is taking is not like uh, all these old laws, you don't need them anymore. Here's some new stuff. It's more like, Oh, here's some old laws. Let me tell you something even older. Let me tell you how they originally were, or let me go back to the, to the most oldest law. Yeah. So his, he is, you have to, you know, don't downplay it. He is actually quite subversive of it. I mean, he really is sort of changing a lot of what commonly yeah. is understood by these laws. And he is, on a bit of a there is a mission he's re he's reforming them but he's not reforming them by saying oh they're just old we don't need them anymore here's the new stuff he's saying no they were here for an original purpose which we have now corrupted let me show yeah. you the original purpose yeah and and at every level they are they go further <laughs> yes yes they ask more of us he's not a, he's not what you might call a sort of a typical liberal or somebody who says oh the times have changed you know let's we, yeah. we don't need to stick with these old laws anymore yeah he, yeah he's not like that to, to hear jesus isn't isn't heard like him saying oh we don't need this stuff anymore he's actually yeah. like almost harsh not harsher but he's it's even he raises the bar even higher so yeah. famously like like you've heard that it said don't murder but i tell you even if you have anger in your heart it's as if you murdered somebody yeah, like, yeah. that's not that's not a typical kind of liberal position <laughs> no and if you've got lust you've already committed adultery right. you know, that kind of but of course i would hasten to add it's not a typical conservative fundamentalist position either because the fundamentalist position would be like well here's the letter of the law here's what it says this is what yeah. it means whereas jesus is like oh you have heard that it was said but i tell you and he he does actually make an approach to this thing that is not 
literalist and biblically literalist at all. Yeah. So he's not a conservative yeah. either. But it, but he, what he's saying is you've missed the reason it was there in the first place, isn't he? Yeah. It's that and kind of I'm the guy. Completely yeah. missed the point. Oh yeah, and by the way, I am the fulfillment. I'm the guy. Yeah. It's, like, it's not you, like let me tell you what teachings are the fulfillment. It's I am the I, I am, am the, the fulfillment. fulfillment of the law. Yeah. yeah, I'm the fulfillment. So that's pretty big thing to say. And it goes back to that um, which we looked at quite a lot in Mark's Gospel, where he talks about you know follow me, put your trust in me. All that right. kind of stuff. It was all about when we when it comes to following Jesus, it's about following a, him, not following another list of rules. It's, right. it's it's this constant personification. Yeah. With it and centralizing the entire Old Testament as we have it, you know, the scriptures as they had it on himself. You know, he's he's saying, guys, it is now it is being fulfilled in your hearing, as he says in in Luke chapter four. Yeah. Um, you know, when he reads Isaiah 61, that's, that, that, that's because he's arrived, not because it just so happens that he's something he's about to say has been fulfilled. It's him. It's, it's, the, it's he is yeah. the embodiment of it, of all the promises. And a lot of people really liked it. I mean, there is a kind of a th this is leading down. This could lead this has led towards a kind of an anti-Semitism, anti-Judaism in like, oh, uh, okay. Jews are all about the law. Jesus is all about grace. That's a, that's a kind of a typical evangelical line, but it's not actually true. And it's not true that all the Jews, because there's a lot of grace. <laughs> what happens is Jesus affirms the grace that one finds in the Hebrew scriptures. He's not against all Hebrew scriptures. He affirms the grace, the salvation by grace alone. He affirms that and he finds it in the Hebrew scriptures, for example. Yeah. So he's not, he's not like introducing a new idea. He's, he's shining a light on an old idea and saying, this is the one I want you to look at. Mm-hmm. And then when he makes himself the fulfillment of the law, it's not an anti-Jewish thing. A lot like everybody in this story from soup to nuts is Jewish. Everybody, you know, everybody, every, all the all the named characters are Jewish. Everybody writing these scriptures are Jewish. The early Christians are Jewish. So it's not an anti-Jewish thing. It's that a certain group, the Judaizers, uh, it's a very specific kind of name. Yeah which is much more of a sort of a political faction. It, they're almost the kind of nationalist Jews as opposed yeah. to just Jewish people. They're the ones whose, whose authority is being threatened by Jesus when he says yeah. things like, it's all about me now. Yeah. And they're the ones that are trying to kill him. It's not like all Jewish people everywhere are killing Jesus. No. It's, it's the ones whose power, the elites yeah. whose power is being threatened. They're the ones who are trying to kill well, him. Well, and of course, as the early church discovered that, they they all came from a Jewish background, you know. All the, yeah, most of the yeah. early followers were Jewish, and yeah. they had to wrestle with that as as the early church as to to what degree do you need to be Jewish to also be a Christian, right? And which uh, is why this stuff about like the fact that Jesus is just constantly centering himself with relationship to the law to the Hebrew scriptures is really important. You know, yeah. it, it means that, that 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 is if you center yourself on Jesus, then you have to have a relationship to these things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that, but that doesn't mean now you get a lot of sort of messianic Christian types who who are they're Christian, but then they just sort of they just do all the stuff in Leviticus or Deuteronomy or whatever, and and that's weird too. That's kind of that's missing the point as well. So it's mm. a it's a fine line to, Every, to everyone's take. missing the point. Uh, <laughs> uh, Stephen, I'm before uh, completely tangentially. I loved a little phrase that I don't think I've ever heard anyone say before. You said from soup to nuts. <laughs> You've never heard that before. <laughs> I've never heard that phrase before. Now tell, is it a Canadian phrase? I've, no, it's, I've been a, no, it's actually British. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I've never uh, heard that phrase before. I'm probably going to get people emailing a in. A full saying, course, a full course meal starts with soup and it ends yeah. with nuts and nibbles at the end. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to challenge myself to use that in everyday parlance tomorrow. Just find a reason. I'm doing my shopping or I'm uh, meeting with a friend and I'll slip into conversation and see if they, see if they comment. <laughs> So we got through the fulfillment of the law and then we moved on to murder, which we talked about and reconciliation, which is critical here. And then, of course, it talks about adultery and, and lust. And the, but of course, we must remember about that is the elevation of women in this yeah. bit. Of the, you know, it's, it's not it wasn't the norm, you know. Yeah, the teaching well, aimed at think, women. It's aimed what, at men. What, what I was struck by from what I remember from our conversation was that the fact that women were important enough to have a say in adultery was the elevation. It's almost like they, they were raised to the point that they, they could adultery could yeah. be committed. So Jesus raises women to the point where they can be sinners, which is a kind of an yeah. odd way, but like he, he often affirms their moral agency or moral uh, uh, authority. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But not in this one get... with, with the lust though. Like he, it isn't, he doesn't say women stop wearing clothes that entice men to lust. He says, men just control your eyes. That's what he says, which is interesting. And it's, you know, it's not, it's not a typical response that like, we don't find that response in any of the Jewish Muslim or Christian faiths. It's very easy to find examples of people um, controlling women rather than the men's uh, own gaze. But Jesus doesn't do that. He looks at the, yeah. the men, not the I... women. Yeah, and of course, it's very pertinent for, you know, recent movement, you know, the Me Too movement and where, you know, this kind of, well, she, you know, the kind of awful phrase. Yeah, of, right. Oh, she, she was asking for it because of the yeah, way she was exactly. dressed. It's like, exactly. so you saying exactly. you literally have no control over where you're looking or, exactly. how, or yeah. how, what you say or making yeah. the cat calls or the wolf whistles or whatever. Yeah. And so, I mean, just, here's Jesus right 2,000 years ago. He's saying something yeah. similar. He's not, it's not about. You don't blame the woman for your own lust. Yeah. yeah, amazing. So uh, it keeps going. Turn the other cheek, loving your enemies. Give him uh, your cloak when he takes your shirt. It keeps going and, to, and he tells, tells him to, them I to mean, love. I that's a good one. That, that, that cloak and shirt one is good for us because we're going to be talking about money today. You know, that's yeah. a good one because, he, again, he's talking about so turning the other cheek, giving a cloak, and going the extra mile. They all show up in one little section there. And they're all yep. about not, yep. not clutching tightly to what is rightfully yours, even when it is rightfully yours. That's the sort of way to sum up those passages. In fact, the Old Testament law uh, commanded you to take eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and a life for a life. Hmm. And Jesus says, even though that is your right, and in fact, you are commanded to do it, I don't want you to do it. And likewise, the coke and the cloak and the going the extra mile. Those are all things that you are well within your rights to refuse. Yeah. And Jesus says, no, I want you to do them. So the yeah. idea is that you are not fiercely organizing yourself around protecting your own rights, which is a political, social, political way to act. Right. Think about how often yeah. our Christians today are, are, are what really animates them is defending their own rights against other people. Yeah, yeah. So that's what animates yeah, but, so much of our activity. Well, um, in large part because they're aware of what they are losing, in, particularly in the public arena, you know. Right, and so they're, they're fearful about losing it, and so then they they do a whole lot of stuff, and they energize themselves and re throw yeah. resources at it. And and you're like, yeah, no, you are. It, to the thing about the thing with Jesus where he's really uncomfortable is like, he's like, yeah, you are being abused. You are being taken advantage of, but I don't want you to fight back. Or I don't want you to do what it takes to destroy your enemies. Hmm. 
you know, and that's a hard thing to hear. Uh, so it's, it's, it's curious. It's one of these kind of like yeah. odd, non-common sense ways of organizing your kingdom. I was thinking about that because, um, you know, obviously it's a, uh, a difficult subject, but obviously we recently, um, remember 20th anniversary, 20th anniversary of the nine 11 been watching a documentary on Netflix, which is kind of the surrounding political climate kind right. of both in terms of Afghanistan and the rise of the Taliban and Al Qaeda. And it's really, yeah. it's really quite interesting. Yeah. And I've just today, I was actually finishing um, a, a little bit of it where Bush junior is uh, gearing up to retaliate and they, they get some Vox pops from, Joe Joe Public, yeah, and it's full of vengeance. I I mean, and 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 to a degree, you know, I don't want to take that away from, you know, the grief and the anger and and so on that people would have experienced with nine eleven. But but it was very interesting that 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 what they chose to represent in this documentary, at least, was was many many voices saying, bomb them, they'll pay for it. Yeah, of course, we need to smite them. You know, it's that kind of. Oh yeah. And I and I and I was called to mind the conversation we had around loving our enemies and what would be the Jesus mandate at this point. Yeah, and, and I, I know of many I know of many Christian leaders during that time that lost their jobs because they actually just were trying to trying to obey Jesus during that time, but they were so against the the prevailing mood of their of their own populations that they they ended up being hounded out of jobs or losing. They were persecuted, yeah. and they were, but they were persecuted by other Christians. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's one woman who, in this document, she's interviewed, and she's an African-American woman who is in the Senate, and she was the only one to vote against kind of uh, this. There was a bill that went through that gave kind of the the presidential office almost any power whatsoever, and she was the only one to vote against it, and she said she had 60,000 emails, 50% of which were death threats from her own people. You know, from from Americans. There's a very interesting. I don't know if to, to plug a different podcast, the Ezra Klein podcast. I've not, I've not heard that. No. He's, a, he's a journalist, like such a wise and kind, intelligent guy. And he he was he's a New York Times columnist, but he has this podcast, and he's interviewing somebody very recently about the 9/11, and it, and talking about that and about how the, 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 this historian is is a real historian or a, an analyst of the 9/11 phenomenon and. And he's like a kind of a he's a lefty progressive kind of guy. And, and but he's saying, like, you got to point out like that everybody this was a hugely bipartisan thing. Like everybody agreed we got to take revenge. Everybody and, apart from this one African-American. Exactly. Yeah. And the bloodlust was high and it was on all sides. And it was it was not just one side. Or, and everybody united and we united out of revenge and fear. And, yeah. and we discounted all the other options except the ones that look like we were going to get our pun- our revenge. Yeah. And that's the way the world works. I mean, that's just, that's our generation's vision of it. It happens all the time. Yeah. Other generations. Yeah. Well, it's, I think, you know, it's been said that nothing unites like a common enemy. And, and yet what, when Jesus later, I mean, in John's gospel certainly talks about the unity of people. It's about, it's about love for one another. It's and love for a, your enemy. And love for your enemy. Yeah. Which is why yeah. it really pisses everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, it's still so today, I mean, it's, it's so offensive, isn't it? I mean, yeah. lots of, it offends our our disposition. It offends our well. That's where it comes back to why I was talking about allegiance. That's why I'm talking about like a lot of the Sermon on the Mount is about reframing or reforming your allegiance because 
you know, this is why I, I'm not just being sort of flippant when I say like being patriotic and being a follower of Jesus are incompatible, like being patriotic to your country. It is actually incompatible with the way of Jesus, because ultimately being patriotic to your country means you're going to kill or, or die for it. Mm. And that is one of the things that Jesus very explicitly said, don't do. Mm. So it's like, it's, it's like that. It's kind of the idea of, of, of having an enemy the way of Jesus is they say they, they don't want you to have enemies. Like you just yeah. almost aren't allowed to identify anybody as your enemy. Whereas wow. the logic of nationalism and patriotism is it, it, it relies on you having inside. Well, Cause you are, enemies. Yeah. you are a collective in opposition to some uh, people who are not you. Yes. You know, you're, you're, you're yeah. defined by not being everybody else. Yeah. Exactly. Not being beyond those borders, not being, the people with the right birth certificate not being the people that look like you you know yeah that is how you define yourselves so the, the kingdom of heaven that jesus with the kingdom of god that jesus was starting is the only kingdom that has ever existed in all of human history that wasn't based on the killing of one's enemies hmm. it was based on the killing of jesus <laughs> but uh, like it's the only kingdom there's no other kingdom on uh, in human history that hasn't been based on on killing of one's enemies yeah all right, well, I want to get on to the next bit. Uh, he talks about prayer. He talks about the public and the private, which you referred to earlier about the, you know, don't, he kind of almost reverses it. He takes the private. Right. Thought, the thought life of adultery or anger yeah. and all those things, lust and anger, and turns them into public. Right. Acts. You yeah. Know, adultery is, in, is with somebody else. Obviously, that's a public act. Murder is a public act. So he takes that which is private and turns it into public. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and then he takes that which is has been used in the public arena, like the play actors, as it talks about yeah, in my yeah. version anyway. And he that, internalizes it, and he says, "No, no, no, that's got to yeah. be an internal thing." Yeah, yeah. Um, so we oh, go that's through a that. Good point. I, I did I make that point, or did you make that point? I, that's a I, good point, John. I'm I, give that one to you. It's it's the one good point I think I made all. I'm last giving time. that one to you, John. That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then we get to treasure on earth, which is Should another we... one of the things that claims our identity and allegiance and action. Yeah. So I talked about this on Sunday. Okay. And um, shall we read it? Do you want to? I've got um, NT rights in front of me. Uh, Kingdom. Go on. New Testament, shall I read it? Yeah, yeah. And you've got Bentley Hart, as yeah. per usual. We're going to begin at verse 19, as it says, Don't store up treasure on earth. Moths and rust will eat it away, and robbers will break in and steal it. No, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Moths and rust don't eat it away there, and no robbers break in and steal it. Show me your treasure, and I'll show you where your heart is. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is honest and clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil, your whole body is in the dark. So the light within you turns out to be darkness. Darkness doesn't come any darker than that. Nobody can serve two masters. Otherwise, they will either hate the first and love the second or be devoted to the first and despise the second. You can't serve both God and wealth. And we'll look at worry next week, but that's where we'll stop for today. So he ends with wealth. He doesn't give it its name, right? He doesn't say mammon in your Tom Wright one. Uh, no, in the NIV that I use, it said definitely, definitely said money. Um, yeah, and Tom yeah, Wright that. says wealth. 
Ah, uh, well, who am I to disagree with Tom Wright? But I'm going to disagree with Tom Wright. Oh, let's I think start that's there. A very, I think that's a significant. It, I think that's very significant that he decided not to. Why do you think he's done that? I don't know why he did that, but ev- but everybody else will have. Uh, you can't serve God and Mammon, which is the a kind of a name for material possessions. But why I found it interesting is that Jesus there personifies wealth. He gives it. He turns it into a. He basically gives it the name, like an idol. He. He, he's contrasting God with another God. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's, that's why I find it significant. So it is about wealth, but he, here he's done that thing, which is we've turned this wealth into an idol, but rather than leave it in the abstract, the idea of wealth, he gives it a name with a capital letter and a, because it's, it's meant, I think it's meant to wake you up to think, Oh, right. That's right. I'm worshiping it. There's two beings here that I'm, I'm devoting my life to. Just as you were talking, I looked it up on Blue Letter Bible just to have yeah. uh, to one side. And uh, the word that is used is initially is usually translated mammon. Yeah. And is and is actually the Greek is mammona. So, you know, it doesn't it doesn't stray too far from the Greek. But it's interesting. Uh, it's it's talks about wealth personified is how they talk. Yeah, about it. exactly. That's why that's why I'm 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 sorry that Tom Wright didn't do that because I feel like that's one of the points of this little passage. Well, and it loses it's it loses its it's meant to be personified. Bang. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So rather than think of it as like this concept that's just sort of out there, a neutral concept. It's like, no, it's not a neutral concept. It's a you've made it into a person, like you've made it into a thing that yeah. has its own will and agenda and and you are you are serving it. Yeah. 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 And um, this is one of many occasions where Jesus talks about money. I, I was doing some research around it, and right, um, and one in seven verses in Luke's gospel, for example, talks about money. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Um, something like eleven out of the thirty-nine parables talk about money or allude to that kind. Of, you know, yeah, it, it, uh, he talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell combined. You know, it's it's yeah. And yet it's rarely talked about. And when it's talked about, it's done badly and um, in, yeah. in, in a church Christian discipleship context. And because, but I think, I think it's for exactly that reason. It's for the reason that Jesus talks about it is the reason that we don't talk about it very much. <laughs> right. Right. Because, because Jesus knows how much of a stronghold it is as Ched Myers would say from the, from Mark's gospel, you know, the, the a strong man, it's the strong it, man. Yeah. It is a strong man. And um, and I think that's the very reason why it's not talked about, because we recognize even as I and I tried, I talked about stuff. I talked about hoarding things. I talked about and I was, you know, very honest about the fact that I like to keep stuff. I quite. um, And um, but even as I was sharing it, I could feel I could feel the challenge in the room as I was talking about this verse about. Right. You know, what does it mean to just store stuff up? Does it you know, and and having that balance, I think, also with with the fact that God gave us creation to enjoy. And so how do we, you know, live? And I, th- I think it is about, it goes back to that very, th- it's, it's about idolatry. That's what I talked about. I said, you know, if it's, if it's something that we're worshiping, if we're getting, if we are giving value to it, if we are giving something of ourselves to it, yeah, even our sense of identity being drawn from it. Well, um, the thing about God is they all require a sacrifice of some sort. So you always think, well, if you're sacrificing something, 
Yeah, that's then, good. Then that's a god in your life, right? So that's good. Yeah, and I, and I think the idea that idolatry, we always say, oh, money can become an idol. And we, we haven't sort of paused to think how it has, it has been our idol for a long time. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It can become one. And it was one for us for, us for thousands of years. Like it, yeah. it has formed our, it has been the thing that has shaped our identity much more yeah. than, than, uh, than the God of, the God who gives or the God of mercy or the God of grace. Like it's the God of money that has shaped us much more. Yeah. And I did you, in your sermon, did you talk about the difference between wealth and riches? Did that come up at all? No, I didn't go on. Let's go there. Cause it's, I think it's an important concept. I don't, you don't like find it in your English Bibles. I don't like, it doesn't sort of like differentiate very well into English, but there's two concepts, which, I th- which the, which the Bible is talking about the, the Hebrew scriptures as well. And I, I think in general, you can say something like wealth is what happens when you always have enough and okay. riches is what is when you hoard more than enough. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so, so the idea would be that like having all you need, you are a wealthy person. Riches is you have kept something out of circulation. You have by hoarding it, you've stopped other people from having it. Well, that's really good. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, I often have to say to these, not that it ever works because people love money, but the prosperity gospel people, you have to say like, God, Jesus doesn't want you to be rich. You know, they say, oh, Jesus wants you to be rich. Like, no, Jesus doesn't actually want you to be rich. Rich people are uh, being rich is a huge problem in the New Testament for Jesus and for others. And, and he, to the point where he calls it, a, uh, he gives it a name, like the name of Mammon, like it's a God. And, and he tells these stories about rich people and rich fools who store up and store away in barns and that kind of thing. And it's, and I, again, the idea isn't like uh, prudent savings is what he's attacking. It's the people who are hoarding, who are kind of keeping it away. And, and also there's a sense that they are uh, keeping their riches in order to provide for themselves do you remember i talked about do you remember the beatitudes the poor in spirit do you remember we talked about what they were yeah do you remember what the what the choclos the choclos were the word that he uses they were what the was choc- choclos being the poor yeah the, the, the word is choclos i can't pronounce my i don't have greek i can't pronounce it but the the idea is that they the word even probably came from the sound it makes when you dredging up some spit oh that's right yeah 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 because they were like yeah. the real despised the real despised and the, the sort of word for them was the kind of people you would spit out on the street and so yeah yeah but one of the things about those people the reason they were so despised it wasn't just that they had a, not enough money in the bank it's that they didn't know where their provisions were going to come from for the next day that's the poor and then when jesus calls them the poor in spirit he's essentially saying well you also don't know your resources. you might have money in the bank but you also don't know your resources where you're going to come from the, you know from, from day to day like you might think you've got self-security but you don't know that the lord is the lord who makes it rain on the just and the unjust and if you don't you're just fooling yourself if you think you have yeah control and there is a sense there then that the poor they are an economic poor and he wants jesus is affiliating with them and identifying with them and he also wants those of us even if we aren't talk loss technically he wants us to affiliate with them as well because we are all people who don't actually know where our resources are going to come from yeah. for the next day which is why you pray for your daily bread by the way in the lord's prayer 
and yeah. it's why being rich is bad because being rich for one thing being rich when you hoard things the reason there are talk loss on the earth is because of rich people right you're you're taking out of circulation what could be given to them for their yeah. day's provision but the other thing about the rich is that it's also bad for the rich person themselves because they are lulled into that sense that they are in charge or they are secure they are providing yeah. their own security yeah which is why like in luke 12 jesus tells the story of the par the, the rich fool who stores away in barns and essentially like i don't need anybody's help because i've got i'm taking care of myself and that's when the lord says you fool your life is going to end tonight yeah you don't you're not in charge of your own life you know yeah and that and and, and so there's, there's this kind of idea there about about riches and wealth yeah and this is why Jesus can say later on, he's going to talk about do not worry. He's like, do not worry. You're wealthy. The heaven, your heavenly father knows what you need. You will never, you know, you'll get what you need. Yeah. You're wealthy. Yeah. That's not the same as being rich. I don't know yeah, if that makes yeah. sense, but it's no, like. No, I, it makes loads. I, I think the reason that, that we've lost that original meaning, I think, in, in the UK or in a Western culture for wealthy, because the majority of us by that definition are wealthy the majority you know the vast majority of us have by that definition what we need yeah you know the vast majority of us have what we need but i imagine in the you know first century jesus context actually being wealthy even that which you even those who had what they needed were still in a relative minority in terms yes. of you know, the majority of that culture would have been living hand to mouth. Yeah, it's a it is a socioeconomic. It's not an abstract principle. It's a real thing. It's like, yeah, we want that. <laughs> we need that. for ourselves. We want wealth as as in we want our needs met. Right. And I imagine Which... a, a very small percentage, the Jeff Bezoses of the first century were the were the riches people. But actually, we've got far more in the riches in the West now. We understand wealth as being that which them those people over there have yeah you know we don't consider ourselves wealthy we never do no yeah. because with it comes it comes an ex an exclusivity which that exclusivity would still have been true for jesus it would have just applied to the everyday person in, in a yeah. sense because 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 of that i, I mean this is where it's instru instructive to see what the the story of acts and the famous in acts 2 and acts 5 where they the believers share all they have in common with each other yeah. and uh, i mean th these are the verses that <laughs> that most modern christians flee from as if it was the devil himself uh, and 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 they're just you know totally scared of the idea that you might be that that maybe we might share things in common but where this comes from is that in deuteronomy the vision for the restored people of god in the book of deuteronomy the year of jubilee is that there is no poor amongst you. There are no toklos amongst you. Hmm. That's how you can tell when the people of God have been redeemed or been restored. There is no poor amongst you. So then along comes Jesus and he does the Sermon on the Mount kind of business and he talks about treasures and don't store away where moth and rust, you know, don't hoard and that kind of thing because you have no control over it anyway. Moth and rust are going to destroy. And then the Holy Spirit comes and then the, the early followers go, well, it looks like the kingdom has been restored with us. Yeah. So what does it look like when God's people have been redeemed? It looks like there's no talk loss amongst you. All right. Now, what are we going to do about it? 
Yeah. Oh, I guess that means we should hold not clutch tightly to what is rightfully ours. I guess that means that when one of us is in need, another one of us will sell a field or a house or a set of clothes and we'll use that money to help our, our brother yeah. and sister, right? That's what's going on there. It's it's as simple and as complicated as that. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a rule for the for the nation, by the way. It's not a kind of a communist socialist manifesto. Yeah, interesting. Okay. It's not like this is how the whole empire should run. It's just like this is how we do it. In our kingdom, this is how we do it. But that itself is extremely unsettling for Christians. <laughs> yeah. And, but that's where um, this is coming from. Stephen, have you in all your years ever seen anything that's become close to that? Yeah. Yes, I have. I've seen it. And and what's fun is when you see it happening in ways that are like it's not organized. It's it isn't like top down structured. They don't say now that you're part of our church, you must show us your bank account and then give us everything. Now that's the cult kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I've definitely been in environments. I've been in in America. I was in an environment. I mean, like you know, give them their due. When I was, I lived for a year with the Bethel church people. I look, I have a lot of issues. I'm not a Bethel guy. Uh, for all their nationalism and stuff but i definitely found uh, there was a real you could quite you'd find quite a lot of spontaneous generosity of spirit there amongst people hmm. and a lot of it was coming from this kind of idea i think of and how how would it operate would it be just as a as a community um, it wouldn't be centrally organized it would just be as a need arose somebody would meet that need within them yes and and what was it was coming out of a not not out of an economic model but coming out of a, a lack of fear of like no i don't have to fear i i can give you this money now because i know that i will be provided for later like yeah. so it'll be somebody else's turn to give me money next month kind of thing and which which is your whole circulation point, that's the whole which point. is your whole point about what you're saying about the, the problem with the rich whether that's the rich in jesus time or or us uh is that like you said, it gives you a false sense that actually you are in control, a false sense that you yes. can, if you pull enough levers, you'll get what you need and what you want. And, and what Jesus is trying to say is, and that is, that's essentially what idolatry is. You yeah. know, it, it is the golden calf when the people of Israel had lost all their senses and Moses went up to commune with God. They decided to build a golden calf because they had lost any sense of, they they needed to bring things in under their control again because they felt out of control. Right, they, they'd right. lost the trust, and that's essentially what I, idolatry is: is I'm going to place my trust, my control in my bank account. And this is or, this is where this is where I mean I, I I genuinely said nice things about Bethel. I don't I don't I'm not against what I said, and mixed into a lot of that was a is a prosperity gospel which yeah. is all about control. So there's some really good stuff happening, some really generous, open-hearted people. But you often find this, certainly amongst charismatics and American charismatics. But I run across it in the UK all the time, too, by the way. The idea that, yeah. oh, if you, God wants you to be rich, if you give money, then you will receive, you know, a hundredfold back and all that. And they find their verses and they, they proof text it and stuff. And, they, and, and, and that is all gets, there's become schemes for how to get rich or there's whole programs about it and and, and what happens is that that real kind of open hearted generosity, that almost spontaneous generosity that you find in some of those environments gets corrupted. It gets kind of captured, twisted, put on to, into a system, and then it becomes sick. Then it becomes the 
some yeah. kind of get rich quick scheme basically or yeah. the power of positive thinking and yeah. it's such a shame because that good things happen but it often happens um in the same environment where very bad things are happening yeah which by the way i mean ananias and sapphira <laughs> i mean it's happening in the book of acts as well right yeah. so i don't think there's ever been a time but when, it is hard to hold that understanding that God will pour out his blessing upon you. You know, if you are to be generous, God doesn't shortchange you. You know, you can't outgive outgive God. You can't there's a fine line between holding that biblical truth and stepping across the line into and therefore I now expect it. Yeah, but um, everybody having what they need is different than you getting a a, a yacht yeah or whatever right like there's just such a kind of a a difference like we we go oh god pours out his blessing on us and then we get our definition of blessing from instagram yeah yeah it's true we don't get our definition of blessing from jesus yeah and this is what happens all the time it's like well yeah god does pour out his blessings on us and then one of those blessings is that you're not rich because being rich is bad for you it poisons your soul but i think that what i try to draw as a kind of practical to move towards this place, given given how consumeristic and capitalistic our world is. And like you said, you know, the Instagram world of need. In fact, funny enough, I spoke to someone on Sunday after my talk and they said, I'm going to delete Instagram. Yeah. Because they had got caught up in their, they're just about to move house and they're trying to buy a sofa or something. And they just got caught up into the beautiful sofas of Instagram. <laughs> Yeah, and, I know. And yeah. and they just got it just they just found that it was creating this thing within them. Yeah. And uh, and I said, you know, all of us are on a journey in this, but one of the things that we need to do is we need to change our perspective. So instead of it being about how much do I need to give away, actually if we fundamentally believe that when we say yes to Jesus, all that we own, yes. our bank account, our stuff, our yeah. our nostalgic you know, inheritance, whatever. My comic books. <laughs> yeah. Comic books, yeah. All the things that we cling tightly to. Yeah, yeah. Um, is actually Jesus's anyway. And so right. the question is not how much do I give away, but God, how much are you giving me to use for my own purposes? Yeah, what am I it's, using it, right now? Yeah. Flips it round. And I talked about, you know, practicing. What did I, I say? Practicing. But I still talked about practicing generosity, essentially. and um, But also practicing um, holding back holding back from having to spend something just because it's there. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. They were, they were two very clever words I used that began with the same letter and I've completely forgotten them. Um, but, uh, but it was that idea that actually we can step into changing our perspective by these two practices of, of quest- asking the question, do I need this right now? Is it mine to spend? Uh, and then the second one, and, and how can I be generous? How can I, how can I right. uh, give that away? And then I yeah, brought how it do I get pro- it into circulation? I mean, yeah. everybody, everybody right now listening knows somebody, everybody knows the, has a poorest person that they know. Like mm-hmm. we all know somebody who's the poorest person we know. Yeah. We all know somebody who's the loneliest person that we know. Yeah. We all know somebody that's the least talented. <laughs> or, you know, I, you might not go up to them and say that to them at their face, but we all know somebody who's the least lucky or yeah. right. We know, we just all even know that, a just, loss. I know people in my life who I just think, They've been dealt a really tough yeah. hand with their with their personal health. So then, and health is a lottery, right? So now the 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 the, the Jesus attitude towards that, the, the kind of people of God attitude is, well, how do we, what we've got, how do we get that into circulation to help the the poorest, the least? 
you know, it's it. We don't demonize. We don't say, "Oh, the reason you're poor is because you're lazy," which is what uh, most people think today in a lot of ways. We're like, "Oh, you're the least of us right now. What have we got that we can get that into circulation?" Yeah, and I close my. Kind of changes the way that we think about our our wealth. Yeah, and I and I close my talk on Sunday with with talking about the fact that it's reciprocal in the sense that we talk about these idols that we we give worth to. Jesus is saying, "Listen, you're giving worth to the wrong." in the wrong place yeah but equally that which we worship we gain our worth from it, it becomes a kind of reciprocal we give worth and we receive worth from that which we worship and well this is where this lamp of the body stuff in can we talk about yes. 6 22 to 23 it's, it's yeah yeah about, you know it's quite funny so jesus says you know your eye is the lamp of the body well, let's read it. So 22, 23, the lamp of the body is the eye. Thus, if your eye is pure, your entire body will be radiant. But if your eye is full of, what is, mine says baleful. What does yours say, Tom Wright? Dark? 23, if your eye is evil, your whole body's in the dark. Yeah, so if the light within you is dark, how great is the darkness? Now, there's an odd images here, right? Because lamps give off light. They illuminate the objects around them, right? Yeah, but the imagery is odd because Jesus is is saying it's you who's giving up. Like, imagine you are the eyes, and light is coming out of your eyes. Yes, yes, that is. Yeah, you're right. It now, is look, slightly... ancient Jews don't think that. Like, this is they don't think that this is what humans are like. Uh, normally, it's the other way around, right? The, if you think if you're walking down the street and you see something glittering, it catches your eye. Yeah, and you turn to look at it. So you think yeah. they're like a pile of gold or something. And it, yeah. And it will capture your attention. So the, 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 the light is coming from the object and it's capturing you. And Jesus turns it around and he says, the light is coming from you. What you look at is what will become important. Hmm. So don't let things capture your attention. You capture theirs. Yeah, good. Right? So it's this kind of funny little reverse. So think about yeah. your eyes as two laser beams, Superman type laser beams, and whatever they look at, that's what's going to be important. You yeah. have the power, right? And particularly so, when we're called to lift our eyes up. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what worship is, isn't it? Essentially yeah. Our eyes it's up. part of that self-control. It's back. I mean, we talked about it with lust as well. Like it's part yeah. of, and, and it's part of Jesus internalizing what other people like to, they like to think that they're just part of like floating around in the, in the world. And they're just cogs in a machine and there lots of forces are out there. And Jesus is essentially saying, oh, no, you are, you have way more control over these things than you think. Yeah, yeah. You are, what you do is important. So. Well, we've come to the end of our time. Stephen, thank you for joining us today. This has been as, great fun. As, as we begin with money. Um, yeah, and of course, the end of that is that Jesus gives it a name. He says, Mammon. You shall have no other gods before me, says in Exodus 20. And Jesus kind of recalls that to people and he says this thing that you've been giving light to you've has created a, a god it has a name thank thanks, you so John. much thanks church it's nice to talk with you thank you for listening thanks to david backhouse for the theme tune and to chris marchand for editing and all the other music this show only exists because of support from listeners like you if you have found something we made to be good or useful please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leaving a good review on your chosen podcast platform. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com.